I thought I knew what stress was and <laughs> I had no, I was clueless. I had no idea until I actually was, I left Wall Street. I was laid off in the middle of a massive renovation of an old church that wow. I now live in <laughs> and is a studio. Welcome to The Healing Ground Movement, a podcast dedicated to revolutionizing how we think about our bodies and our health. I'm your host, Dr. Carly Hudson, DC, and I have lived my life in pursuit of holistic healing and care that goes beyond symptom management. If you've been listening and like what you're hearing, head over to your favorite platform and leave us a review so we can reach more people with our important message. Enjoy today's episode. Welcome to another episode of the Healing Ground Movement podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Carly Hudson, and here with us via Zoom is Mariah Ellert. Now, from Wall Street to Rebel Brain, Rebel Brain Master, Mariah is a rebel, stress management tactician, and a visionary. She helps her clients find their way to a more joyful life and achieve goals by using brain science and meditation to rewrite our brains to work for us. She believes we can joyfully, we can live joyfully even in the face of life's struggles. I'm so excited to have Mariah with us today, um, especially as we are um, in the midst of our shelter from home here in Colorado, and I think most places across the country, we are definitely living in the face of some unprecedented life struggles, and Mariah has a lot of fabulous things to offer. So welcome, Mariah. Thanks for spending the time with us today. Oh, thanks so much, Carly. I'm happy to be here. So we always like to get to know our guests with a simple, silly question, and that is... <laughs> I love, was silly. I love silly. <laughs> uh, but when was movement first fun for you? Movement? M movement. <laughs> uh, uh, probably dance. Um, I would say when I, um, I, movement's always kind of been fun for me. Um, when I was a kid, just being able to dance and move. And uh, at one point, um, I was a city kid and we moved out to the country. <laughs> and we, you know, I was 10 years old and my whole world was just horses, 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 horses. And we had a barn and a field. So why can't we have a horse? So um, that was a whole new experience in movement and understanding mm -hmm. where and how my body moved in relation to this big, massive animal. And then how this animal moved, you know, and how mm -hmm. we, you know, combine that too, because I would always want to just jump on the horse without a saddle, which, you know, triggered my mother's nervous system to no ends. <laughs> oh, I, bet. I like the way you put that too. So yeah. what, was, what was the biggest lesson, like going from dancing and having your own body and your own physical experience to then in a sense, needing to share that physicality with an animal at least twice your size, but you're a little girl. So probably more than twice your size. How, what was the biggest lesson you learned in that? That's a great question. Uh, the first thing that's popping into my mind is breathing. Tell us more. And I remember I was, my neighbors, because we had this uh, driveway that was about a half mile long. But to, you know, little me, shorter Mariah, it was probably like five miles long uh, yeah. when I had to walk it. <laughs> hundred miles uphill. Hundred miles uphill, both ways, in a snowstorm. There were snowstorms and I did have to walk down it in snowstorms, just for the record. Um, <laughs> But my neighbors were farmers and which was, you know, really fun for me as a child as well to play on the farm with them and help milk cows. And they're over in, they're over visiting us for some reason. Um, and they're in their big truck and I had my horse out. So I was like, I'm going to race you guys to the corner and you know, we're racing, racing, racing. And I'm in the lead, you know, I'm on my horse and they're not going to run us down or anything. Yeah. Um, 
and right at the corner the driveway had this sharp um, 90 degree turn and then there's a ditch and a field and instead of turning my horse went over the ditch she oh. first time I didn't know she was a jumper she was a jumper <laughs> jumps over the ditch and then stops I keep going and going and going and flunk and I'm sitting there on the dirt still holding the reins facing her nose <laughs> just breathe like, and I remember thinking in that process, just let it go, just breathe and mm -hmm. see where you land. Because if you try and clench up, you know, that's a bad thing. Um, so riding horses definitely taught me to breathe. Whatever is going to happen, because the more tense you get, the more tense the, mm -hmm. the horse gets too. Well, I haven't had these memories in so long. This is fun. <laughs> I mean, that was such a vivid, beautiful memory. I can imagine you just sitting there horse to horse, to horse nose to nose with this horse and just kind of a what just happened sort of moment. Exactly. <laughs> but my favorite part of that story, and it's a theme that we keep coming back to a lot, um, particularly in the um, conversations we're having at this, this time in our history, is um, choosing not to fight what is. Mm. And, you know, when you're, even as you're flipping over the horse and you have this wherewithal as a child, which I think is just brilliant, to, to not fight, to not tense, but just see where it goes and breathe. And what is a very scary physical experience, you know, you can land with this nose to nose intimate moment and everything can be okay, just breathe. And I think we're gonna hear a lot more about that kind of intentionality as we continue chatting today. Definitely, yeah, it was, it was, um... Yeah, it's, it's funny to see. I haven't thought of these memories in so long, and it's fun to bring them up, but there's definitely, um, there's so many lessons that we have from our past and our history that we can pull on, known mm -hmm. or unknown, uh, in this moment, and because it, it is a very pivotal time for everybody. The entire, I mean, this is the entire globe, the entire mm -hmm. planet is involved in this right now, and that's historic and epic and frightening for many, and just... Mm -hmm understanding that you know find our grounding and find where find that that point where we know we're okay and then move from there even if it's something as small as i'm just breathing i can breathe mm -hmm. you know there's there's a roof over my head we can figure the rest out we'll figure the rest yeah. out you know we're flying through the air <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's I'm, really i'm gonna land i don't know how i'm gonna land i don't know if it's gonna hurt it mm -hmm. might it might not but if I tense up, it's going to be worse. This is just the the biggest aerial experience any of us have ever had. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, so from from there, from from playing and 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 running and chasing with the horses, what inspired you um, to to your current passions, and what are they? Uh, stress inspired me, definitely. <laughs> um, and there's always been that need for. Um, I didn't always know it, but uh, that place of wanting to heal, to help, mm -hmm. to be able to serve in some way, and knowing that I had something to give, and then just like the life search of, what is it? Is it art? Mm -hmm. Is it, you know, science? Is it, where is this place I'm going to land? And who knows? It might even change in five years from now. <laughs> um, but yeah, going through, uh, you know, working on Wall Street for over 20 years, I thought I knew what stress was and I had no, I was clueless. I had no idea until I actually was, I left Wall Street. I was laid off in the middle of a massive renovation of an old church that wow. I now live in <laughs> and is a studio. And then um, 
Yeah, it was so it was so funny too because I had uh, a year before when I bought the place, I'm like, well, now I can never leave the job. You know, now mm-hmm. I'm stuck with it forever because I'm going to have a mortgage again because I just paid off my mortgage. <laughs> and uh, you know, the life of an artist, you, you like, so don't, I don't want any ties to anything, so I can do whatever I want. <laughs> like, and no, no financial burdens. Yeah, exactly. No financial burdens. Other ties are fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Happy ones. Um, and then here I was a year later, a uh, little over a year later, and I lost the job. And I'm stuck, not stuck, but I was in the middle of this, you know, big project and big financial responsibility with a tiny baby business, which was my photography business at the time. And it was kind of like the universe said, all right, you know what, you wanted it. Here you go. It's time. Mm-hmm. And then I really figured out what stress was. Like it started affecting my health. It started affecting my relationships. Um, insomnia was just normal for me. And I kind of reached a point where I was like, this, this needs to change now. Like this isn't, this isn't working for me. And I don't, you know, here I'm supposedly have everything I wanted. You know, mm-hmm. I wanted a beautiful studio space. I wanted a unique building, something, you know, to create. And why am I not happy? And what is it that I really, really want out of life? It's clearly not the things because I have those and I'm still not feeling that sense of joy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, when I was on Wall Street, I had the money. Um, it was, you know, paid great. So what is it that really brings me joy? And then when I connected to that and really started healing all those things that I needed to heal to feel that sense of joy and happiness, then I was able to um, turn around and be like, wait a minute. I can share this. That's awesome. <laughs> like, I can teach this. <laughs> I love that story. And I, love, I, I always butcher this quote, so I'm just going to apologize straight out. But I do think it was Mark Twain that said there are essentially two types of travesties in life. And one of them is not getting what you want. And one of them is getting exactly what you want. Hmm. And in both of those cases, like you were describing with your beautiful studio and your house and job and everything, is that you come up against realizing that thinking exactly what you want is the answer to all, but certainly you're still here, you're still living, and you're not going to find all your answers by, you know, by your 30s. Um, <laughs> none of us are. I, I mean, I wanted to be the exception to that rule, but that didn't happen either. Yeah, I, I blew, past, blew past my 30s and had no idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but so where did you end up going then? So you thought you had everything that you wanted, and, and then it all sort of shifted and crumbled away. Where did that take you in your own health journey? I know we chatted about that a little bit before, but where did you end up next? Um, I ended up meditating to make it very, very simple. Um, There was this practice that I learned about um, because I had some other fairly traumatic things happen. Um, I would say small T, not capital T. Mm -hmm. Um, Some members of my family will probably say the opposite, but uh, you know, I lived through it and we learned from these things and it's made me a stronger, more empathetic individual. So I can't regret it or be mm-hmm. upset that it happened or that these things happened. Um, and I had a friend reach out to me who, um, she goes, I can help you come in, let me help you. And that was uh, Lisa Winberger at the Neurosculpting Institute. So I started getting back into that practice again. Mm-hmm. And, but it was much, it was much more intentional. Like I really need to do this. And it immediately started helping me sleep again, feel better and refocus, you know, my mindset and mm-hmm. adjust my mindset and adjust that default that, cause it's so, I mean, we are right from birth. We're, we're designed to go to that stress default, which affects our entire body, all of our chemistry in our body. It affects our 
our um, like where our, our thoughts go. If we're like during this time, it's super, super easy. And our brain wants that feed of information because it wants to support the survival mode. So we tend to get sucked into watching the news all day long, you know, and sucked into all the negative stats so that we can, you know, feed that fight or flight system in our body, but it's not doing us any favors and it's not going to help us Mm-hmm. get more creative. It's going to keep us in that stress response and it's just going to worsen and worsen and worsen. And that's where I was, you know, a couple of years ago, a few years ago. And so now I can see it so clearly around us now. And it's just step back, just breathe, just breathe, like mm-hmm. shut it off, turn the TV off, step <laughs> away, get away. <laughs> you know? well, you're right. Cause, and it's amazing how something that served us so well evolutionarily Mm-hmm. That when we are living in small tribes in homes that are are less protected than what we're in now, most of us, I mean, certainly there are, are parts of the world where this is yeah. not, still not the case, but paying attention to every negative stimulus is what keeps us safe. You know, mm-hmm. is there eye shine in the bush? What's that noise coming from? I smell smoke. Um, my food tastes off. You know, am I going to get food poisoning? And all of these things can become signs of, you know, life or death situation. But now here in the modern world, yes, we need to keep ourselves safe. We need to attend to the negative stimulus around us. And, and you know, right now it's putting in efforts like social distancing and sheltering at home to keep us safe. But at some point, we've done everything we can do. And yet our brain is going to continue to look for more reinforcement for our own safety. Our brain is obsessively dedicated to almost to its own detriment to finding out what's wrong in order to keep us safe. Definitely. And it's, it, it, we don't want to get rid of that either. I mean, mm-hmm. that's there to protect us. And I'm nearly hundred percent certain that it has protected every single one of us in our lifetime. Mm-hmm. So we don't want that to go away, but noticing it and noticing that when we start to shift into that, wait a minute, is, am I, am I in looking at the different faces of fear and how they mm-hmm. show up, you know, everything from self doubt to, worrying, you know, even just changing the language. Like I catch myself all the time. I'm a little worried about weight. You know, worried is going down that, that, that fight or flight part mm-hmm. of our brain, that limbic part of our brain again. And I don't want that because that's going to get me out of the innovative, the creative, the big picture thinking, the puzzle solving brain. Can you, so, can you talk to us a little bit more about, because you mentioned this twice now and I'm really intrigued to learn more too. That it seems as though that if we are in the worried, um, I call it my fear bunny brain. Um, a little fear bunny brain. Um, we don't get to be that creative or it's harder to access that creativity. But when we can step away from that, we have a lot of opportunity that we get to play with. Am I paraphrasing yes, yes. that right? Tell us more. You are spot on. Good job, lady. <laughs> Gold star. I can be uh, <laughs> So well, so easily. Uh, so these two parts of the brain, um, there's that limbic center, which, you know, your, your fear bunny. Is that what you mm-hmm. call it? The fear bunny? I fear I like that. <laughs> Little fear bunny. Um, or the kind of lizard brain. And then mm-hmm. the other part is the, um, the prefrontal cortex. Mm-hmm. So that's, I, I like to call it the diva. <laughs> Cause it needs a lot of good rest. It needs pristine nutrition. It needs, you know, like a, it takes a lot of resources of the brain. Oh my gosh. I have never heard the prefrontal cortex called the diva before. And I don't know <laughs> why. That's fantastic. I'm writing that down. Please. Continue. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no problem. No problem. Uh, because it is, it, you know, and it exhausts very easily. 
Mm-hmm. So it's, it is, it's a bit of a, it's a diva. Whereas our limbic brain, our little fear bunny brain doesn't need much at all. It's always online. It's a multi-processor. It's taken in everything all the time. You try and sleep in a new place and you can't sleep. That's why mm-hmm. it's always there for us to keep us safe. However, it also reacts the exact same way if we get like a bill in the mail that we don't mm-hmm. like, or a text message from that person or that coworker. <laughs> Or upstairs, who knows? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, I know some people might want to be getting out of their house at this point. Um, so it's it, it's there to protect us. And these two parts of the brain, the limbic center, the the fear bunny, and the diva, they have an inverse relationship. So a seesaw. Do they still have seesaws now? Are there seesaws in old? You, you know, come to think of it, I can't think the last time I saw a seesaw at a playground. Anyway, well, we know what it is. Yeah. Uh, it was like this. Walk, 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 walk. You date yourself by referencing a seesaw. I know, right? Peter Potter. Come on. Oh, anyway. Yeah, two anyway. <laughs> <laughs> So when one is activated, the other one is deactivated. And which is excellent to know because we can kind of reverse engineer this too. Uh, like you mentioned before, when we were talking about novelty and curiosity and creativity, mm-hmm higher brain, diva brain, human brain. Um, and these are pretty uniquely human places too. I mean, this is where compassion and empathy and our ideas of um, like spirituality and, you know, outside, like big picture, very human specific things are live. Our ability to read and write is also mm-hmm. there. So super important. We want this part of the brain, especially now. Mm-hmm. Um, however, our limbic brain, always on. And if we can't calm this down, we're not going to have access to the other one. Because of that teeter-totter. Because season. of that inverse relationship, yeah. So calming down the limbic brain, activating more of our, we have more brain function, like we can think more clearly when we're not in that stress place, and the reverse, like it's harder to think clearly. It's easy to go to um, emotions like anxiety and grumpiness and irritability because we're exhausting our body's systems and we can't, you know, we're not making as good of decisions as we would if our stress is calm and our divas got the, got the spotlight. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, something to be said for divas, while they do require a lot of pampering, they, they put out some good. great content. Yes, I mean, we need good. that art, we need that beauty and that yeah. creativity. Yeah. It's and it's, different. you know, it, and it's everything. It's not just mm-hmm. art creativity, but science and engineering and innovation. Mm-hmm. And like, this is good for everybody, you know, everyone around us, like our families, mm-hmm. uh, the more creative we can get and the less reactive we are because reactive is coming from that, that, that fight or flight place because there's a, a, a reaction of wait, something is threatening me. Even if it's my alone time in the bathroom, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to lash out because of it. So there's that, you know, that when we start to, I like to um, tell clients to kind of pay attention to their triggers as a clue to where they are in their brain. You know, like, are you, what part of that language are you speaking? And talk a little bit more about those triggers, because I think a lot of times we are imagining that for this to be legitimate, it has to be like the big uglies. And maybe we're even trying to draw a distinction between trauma with the big T and the little T. But I don't know if I can speak for other mothers, but this mother here, certainly when you mentioned it's my alone time in the bathroom and why are you knocking on the door? Oh, you just mentioned the alone time in the bathroom. I 
kind of took it a little further, but like, but that's, <laughs> but that to me becomes a little bit of a, a triggering moment of, you know, needing that space and needing my privacy because that is something that is harder to access right now in our home. Yeah. You know, so is, is that sort of on the line of that triggering yep. and can you talk exactly. a little about that? So anytime you feel that you're um, contracting and I look at my body as well, cause it's so, our body always keeps, I think there's even a book or a or body keeps the score. Our body yeah. is, is if, if we're trying, like for me, for example, I'll be like, I'm fine. I'm cool. Goddess of ease over here. No problem. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, I'm wearing my shoulders as earrings. Like, <laughs> I'm fine. like if I start to notice my shoulders tense up, I know I'm not fine. I know mm-hmm. I need to go in and address something. So what is bothering me or what is triggering me? Like it's just mm-hmm. another, another word to use for um, bother, upset, making me anxious, um, making me reactive. Am I, you know, reacting too quickly? Mm-hmm. Am I not consciously, oh, somebody's knocking on the door. That's interesting. I wonder if they, do they think, do you think they need me? <laughs> like I'm in my alone time right now in the bathroom. They couldn't Instead be of, me. Why are you knocking on the door? <laughs> oh, and like, that's I like, the reaction. Yeah. And I like the um, examples that you give is that it's really um, asking us to have a certain level of awareness where if we can get more and more subtle, more and more in tune, that we can start to have a better nuanced grasp of these triggers of these bothers, that when it's, oh, my shoulders are up, or I'm being a little snappier, I'm quicker to respond, versus I'm now screaming at somebody. And can we catch ourselves feeling bothered and feeling, you know, that limbic part of the seesaw starting to come up before, you know, the diva has its, its tush on the ground and, and limbic system is up here in the air screaming its head off. Yeah, exactly. And it's the, that awareness, that awareness part is, is key because the mm-hmm. more aware we become of it, the more we can calm it down, mm-hmm. the faster we can calm it down. And then before you know it, you're like, Buddha on the mountain, <laughs> my Groot, my, my meditating Groot here. Like I got it all. Man, I love that. I got it all figured out. That's awesome. <laughs> Local so, artist too. Great guy. <laughs> so we talked a little bit, you mentioned that you're trained specifically in a technique called neurosculpting. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that? And we've been talking a bit about meditation. So is it meditation? Is it meditation plus? It's basically, it's using what we know about neuroscience Mm -hmm. in meditation. So a very, very specific five-step process that first of all, it calms, calms that neuro, calms calms the neurosculpting brain. (laughs) Too much tea or not enough tea this morning. Um, It calms that limbic brain down Mm -hmm. uh, and very specific, like that's step one. And then it activates, it kind of tickles that prefrontal cortex diva, like, hey, let's pay attention here. (laughs) Shift that balance by doing two things at once. And then it, then it goes in and goes in. Sounds like we're doing brain surgery. It's just (laughs) just a meditation folks. I swear. (laughs) But it can change the the very structure and engagement of your brain. Well, yeah, we're, we're using neuroplasticity every day, all the time anyway. So this is a very intentional way to use, um, to, use our neuroplast. We can intentionally uh, change our, our thought patterns and mm-hmm. the actual gray matter in our brain. 
which mm -hmm. is amazing. So we could go in and do this neurosculpting process and I could go in and say, um, like with an old belief I have uh, that you know, shows up all the time, like I'm not enough, I'm too small, I'm too big, I'm too you know, purple, I'm too square, <laughs> you know, whatever it is that comes mm -hmm. up for us. And this is one that I think you know, we all have some version of. Um, I can go in and rewire that thought, rewire that. And over time with more practice and practice and practice, instead of it being, um, so say that thought was put, or fear was put into us, it's like a super highway touch fire, burn, ow, super highway in the brain. Mm -hmm. Whereas I want to go in and, you know, change, change an old belief. I go in, I'm just making like a little tiny path in a, in a, in the trees, in the forest. And mm -hmm. I go back in and every time I go in, I make that path stronger and stronger and stronger. And that's kind of what we can do in our brains too. Like we can rewire them to um, pretty much however, you know, like it's, it's very limitless, but on, on a super, um, simple basis, uh, basic basis, like my basic go-to meditation is a stress release, like getting mm -hmm. rid of a stress, like going in and saying, okay, where is it in my body? What does it feel like? And then part of the neurosculpting process is using both hemispheres of the brain, like getting the whole brain activated and interested. So it wants to learn this story. Mm -hmm. And then I give it the story, which is, you know, release that stress. Um, it's a little more detailed than that. It's, it's a little more interesting and fun, but because uh, <laughs> colors and you know shapes are involved, and me saying wacky stuff and coming up with weird creative stuff for your brain to be like, whoa, what's going on? <laughs> um, and it's the thing I like about it too is that there's no, it doesn't, uh, it's designed to not trigger anybody. Like it's designed to for you to just kind of listen to whatever suggestions I give, and you mm -hmm. take it and you do whatever you want with it. Like you come up with your creative visions or ideas or stories and i'm just here to kind of just you know guide you through those those five steps so that you have an outline or a template well and then when you were talking about um you know the colors and the shapes and the emotionality um you know that becomes one of the really I believe integral parts of this because we are so uh, novelty seeking and we are so emotional. And what I what I like about when I, as now I'm learning about neurosculpting is that we are engaging all of these different aspects. We're engaging an emotional level, an intentionality, a novelness that comes along with it, and all of those pieces create a very deeply textured story to help us move through you know, that, that new path we're creating. Yeah. I love the way you, you describe that too, because we're taking all of those. And then toward the end of the meditation, the, one of the other steps is we're adding a somatic cue to it. So it has an actual physical cue as well, whether that's tapping or some people like to do hand gestures, something linking. Um, if you uh, are familiar with Hebb's law, Tell neuro us <laughs> neurons that fire together, wire together. So mm -hmm. connecting two separate networks. So a tapping with that thought and connecting mm -hmm. those two together. So you have something, maybe not the full meditation, but you have something to refer back to like, oh, that's right. I released that stress today in that meditation. Oh, breathing, right? Breathing, calm, like mm -hmm. tools you can start to use in the moment when you're sitting in your alone time and you just want everyone to go that away. <laughs> and instead of reacting like, wait, I got this. You know what? I'll be there in an hour. 
<laughs> fine. It's all fine. And, and what I love, and this might sound familiar to our listeners who have um, listened to Dr. Van Winkle's episode um, for, about functional neurology. And we talked a lot about using functional neurology, specifically in the cases of traumatic brain injury, um, because that's where that type of care is most commonly used. There's a lot of different aspects to it. But the way we described it, again, the, the, what wires together fires together, is that if we have a system that in that case um, got damaged or broken, but in this case here that we're discussing today is just behaving in a way that we're not really interested in anymore. <laughs> Anxiety, limiting beliefs, um, the downward spiral. You know, either way, we can call any of those systems not functioning the way we want. Mm -hmm. The idea is to use a system that is functioning and is closely related to it as our new head road in. You know, if, if one road is washed out, but we have another way to get to the same destination. We're going to use that way to get to the destination so that we can still repair the road that's, that's washed out, that's flooded. And so that's that physicality. That's that touching. We can use the somatic, somatic meaning body. We can use sensory, touch, feel. We can use motor and movement all to tap into parts of our brain that are closely wired with our thoughts, our emotions, our beliefs, our fight or flight, our, our rest and digest systems. They're all connected together. Yeah, I love that too. And it is the, um, what you said too about the emotions and the memories. They're, I mean, in the brain, they're, they're right next to each other in the hippocampus mm -hmm. and the amygdala. Um, and it's so, so important to understand that I, I believe that that emotional uh, aspect and how it's related to our physical aspect mm -hmm. is, I mean, they're, they're tied together. They're in it, they're in it forever. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's why I like to look at my body when I'm feeling contracted, like, what is it I'm feeling contracted over? You know, what is going on? Or, you know, reworking some, um, like when I had uh, uh, my neck injury, you know, I was able to use this to kind of re rework the physical with my brain and get my brain, my neurology on board with the physical change that I wanted. Mm -hmm. That's it. And there are a lot of stories about that. I mean, we don't need to go any further than, than Dr. Joe Dispenza, who's done that with his own body. Yeah. Uh, healing from, was he run over by a tractor trailer or something like um, that? Or a semi? I, um, I, I want to say it was, uh, no, yeah, he was a uh, bicycling. It was a triathlon or something. It was triathlon training. I think so. Um, and, but again, um, using that meditation and that power of wiring and firing together um, came upon being able to heal his, his physical injury. That, yeah, that was you know, incredible. Yeah, they, and he was told that there would be no change to it and you and your neck injury. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've done the same with my brain injuries. There is so much that we are able to do and able to access by the power of meditation, by the power of thought and understanding that emotionality that is connected to our physical beings. Yeah. Um, is there more to be said about that to really understand how, how they work together? Um, well, what is the phrase? Uh, very basic, um, uh, no, I'm blanking on it. Um, energy flows. I always get it backwards. Um, <laughs> energy flow. What your thoughts? Your thoughts become reality, basically. Mm -hmm. Why can't I think of this? It's, look, anyway, <laughs> neither here nor there. Um, your your thoughts become. Focus goes where your, 
your behavior, your behavior becomes your habits. Yeah, along those lines. Focus okay. goes where energy flows. Oh, energy there you go. Goes where focus goes. <laughs> <laughs> Bing. Um, we got there. Phew. I was losing it for a second there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it it is ex- extraordinary how because like if you think of the old limiting beliefs too of um, I'm not enough like that that's a belief. There's not an actual physical thing in front of you that you're changing. It's a belief, but it was put there from our brain. Our brain put that belief there. So why can't our brain change? Why can't we put a different belief there Mm -hmm. or a different idea and being able to make it a a physical experience because our brain, there's still like, as far as I know, I still have this thing called a neck that connects my body to my brain. So, (laughs) Um, and yeah, they're so interwoven together that it's, they just can't be separated and being able to find a way, find a system to, Mm -hmm. um, to map that out so that you can make the change instead of it just being like a theoretical, well, sure, there's a body, brain, soul experience, but mm-hmm. you know, that's just something I read about. Like, no, there's actually a way to, there's a door into it. It takes work, it takes practice, but there's mm-hmm. a door into it. And it's a really good point that this is not an uneffortful sort of practice, yeah. not a one and done. I mean, we have spent, what is it to have the, the 10,000 hours of expert level? I mean, you know, at, at how, I always forget how old I am. I think I'm 34. Okay. Uh, in my <laughs> mid thirties, math is hard. In my mid thirties, um, I have spent 10,000 hours trying to teach myself that um, a limiting belief, like I am not enough or my voice isn't worthy. And I have diligently practiced that message for myself for most of my adult life. So I've got my 10,000 hours of expert, expert practice. (laughs) My voice is not worthy and I am not enough. So to say I am enough once is good and a good start. Mm -hmm. We've got to rewalk that path through a dense, dense forest to create something new, to create something wider and more sustainable. And I loved that image that you created. I mean, that is essentially what we're doing with neuroplasticity is trying to drive a new path. Yes. And we have got to walk it. And just like walking through a forest without a path, um, you know, I go hiking a lot and I really do prefer to stay on the trails because that is so much easier. So much easier. So much Especially easier. in the winter. <laughs> in the winter, you're not going to get lost. You're not going to get around, You're not going to get distracted. So when you're choosing to go through the woods where there is no path, you have to stay focused so you don't get lost mm-hmm. and not get distracted. You have to be aware that there are going to be things, tree branches, old thoughts, self-doubt, tearing at other you. people, other people, yeah, other pandemics, people wanting to keep you in their normal. All of these things you're going to have to work through. But the more you work through cookies, cookies, <laughs> that these these branches start to break away, the snow will melt between beneath your feet, and the path becomes stronger and easier to tread, just like the one that you stepped off of. Mm-hmm. Bravo. <laughs> it is. And it's, yeah, it's not a one and done thing. And it, but it's also not hard. You're just walking, like just keep taking one step. I have, I have rules set up for myself um, to stay, to stay on that path, to stay focused on whatever it is that I'm working on. Say, for example, um, as a business owner, a small business owner, an entrepreneur, holy smokes, are there distractions and people trying to pull you off that path and, you know, post holing through the snow. It is not easy. 
And I swear, like one of the, um, it's like three days, two days, self-doubt shows up at my door whenever I try something new. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, which goes back to your other question of your triggers. I know that creating something new is a trigger for my brain. When I go into something new, a new situation, like this is, this is a huge one. We're all in a new situation right now, globally. Mm-hmm. So our Olympic brain's like having a party. <laughs> <laughs> so much to panic about so much to panic yeah exactly um i know that like there's going to be a flood of a flood of uh distractions and Mm -hmm. things trying to derail me and you know especially like for me self-doubt and you know is my voice strong enough Uh, you know is what i'm offering good enough Mm -hmm. am i good enough that's every other day this past few weeks and but I see it for what it is. I know that this is a trick. I know that there's like this global trigger going on. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm like, you know, you're adorable self doubt. How cute they have some tea, stay a while, but you got to leave. <laughs> yeah. You don't get to drive this bus. This is, you don't get to drive it. yeah, <laughs> this is, this is my trail in the beautiful woods. And, uh, so <laughs> I, you know, like that's the awareness piece again, like being mm-hmm. aware of, you know, being aware of what you're doing, where you're at, what you need and what, triggers you or what bothers you or what comes up for you along those you know is this aligned is that self-doubt aligned with my goals Mm -hmm. aligned with where I want to be and who I want to be and how I want to be whether it's you know my body my mind my career my family my whatever it is and is that self-doubt going to help me or is that whatever it is that shows up Um, and how can I move past it and moving past it again is like hey diva come here we got some work to do. Let's, <laughs> let's have the party this time and let's get creative and fascinated and curious and mm-hmm. innovative. And like instead, and once that takes over, like you can't even find self-doubt around. Like it, it's so far away at that point because when that diva takes the stage, our whole minds expand and, and amplify their abilities and our, our personal abilities and our creativity and mm-hmm. what we can access and what we can create from there is just unlimited. I love that. And I was just thinking, you know, there, there's so much advice on the internet and there's so much sort of talking to that limbic system and, you know, how we're going to calm that limbic system down, which is an important part, but it's this aspect of um, inspiring the diva. So I kind of want to do just, you know, a, a call to action for anyone <laughs> listening. If, if someone you know needs a little bit more diva in their life, share this episode, tag them in it. Let's start talking about the diva. Let's start talking yes. about the the art and the performance, that kind of party that we can try and create in our house. Curiosity our and novelty and interesting. Like mm-hmm. what can, what is weird? Like find something funny and weird and, you know, out of your, out of the box that is, you know, fascinating, get fascinated and curious instead of nervous and afraid mm-hmm. and your life will change. Like there is no doubt about that. It's when curiosity runs, when the curiosity diva is on stage, mm-hmm things get interesting. (laughs) And and I'm seeing so many awesome solutions to problems and so many awesome ways to engage that comes from that curiosity problem. Or, well, it is kind of a curiosity problem, but the the curiosity challenge, you know, in, and how are we going to take care of things? I'm even, I'm looking at my kiddo out the window right now, and I don't know if we've heard heard them going back and forth in the house. So so we can't go to our parks right now. And she's got her uh, blow up little cow surrounded by chicken wire and she and my husband are creating a rodeo in our backyard as one does as one does when yes. you are curious when you are playful the that it goes up 
that is a diva party out in my backyard right now. Love it. And That's so. fantastic. And we're seeing it too with the social distancing. You know, there's so people are getting really creative. They're getting creative with technology. They're getting creative. My neighbors, um, one of our neighbors had a birthday this week. And um, so we all had a party from our porches. Oh, that's you know, awesome. We brought out instruments and we played mm -hmm. you know, guitar and we sang to them and, you know, we never got very close. Um, mm -hmm. We did miss hugs, but we all got to connect. And that, that wouldn't have happened if somebody didn't get creative, mm -hmm. if somebody didn't get curious. Yeah, we're, we're really experiencing just the abundance of necessity is, is the mother of invention. Yes. And, and everything is being rewritten as small businesses need to pivot online. That's curiosity and invention. As we need to share our love with our neighbors on their birthdays, and yeah. that's the mother of invention. And we need to take care of our elderly and our immunocompromised, and, and people are, are you know, stepping up and delivering for strangers that they've never met. That's the mother of invention. There is so much diva happening in the world right now. Um, and that's, that's what I really love focusing on and seeing. Yeah, me too. Because that's what's gonna that's what's gonna change this for us. Yeah. Instead of it feeling heavy, it's gonna feel light and creative and you know, help us get through the harder times. Yeah. And 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 then it's kind of pivoting back on that harder time aspect as well. It was a, a little bit of a conversation that you and I had um, when we first started chatting before this, is that you know, you and I are in very different um, shelter at home situations. I can't get any space. And you are home essentially by yourself <laughs> and, and you have all the space. So let's, let's talk about, cause I've certainly talked ad nauseum about parenting at home. Um, let's talk <laughs> about tools and things for those who are by themselves right now. Cause oh, that's, I love that. yeah, that's a whole nother struggle. And we talk about skin hunger and that craving. How does our brain and neuroplasticity, um, how can that help us help in this time? Well, I think one is understanding that uh, we're social creatures mm -hmm. and community and craving that connection, even as an introvert, like my introvert friends are still, we're, we're even like, wait, I, I, I kind of miss people now too. <laughs> <laughs> half, but I'm ready now. <laughs> and there's also, um, as far as like our limbic brain, that, that sense of community gives us a sense of safety. So there's a feeling of safety when we can come together, which is especially hard now physically anyway, but I love that people are finding new ways to connect mm -hmm. and be together online. And that's, that's really helpful, I think, too. Um, I was thinking about this a couple weeks ago, and I made a meditation. It's free. It's up. It's all I, I can give it to you as well. Um, okay, we'll, we'll share it out to everybody. Yeah, it's all over the internet right now. Um, because I was talking to some friends that I have a roommate here, at least. Um, we still don't see each other much because she works full time. Um, but there's at least some human interaction. And I realized there's, I have friends out there. I know people out there, clients out there that have zero human action, interaction with anybody. Like there's, they're completely alone. Mm -hmm. And I thought, what is the one thing I would want most, I miss the most about being around other people that are close to me? And that's a hug. <laughs> So I created this meditation that's a full-on hug, like to embody and feel the, you know, biggest, warmest, like the best hug you can possibly imagine <laughs> that you can, you know, using that diva brain to create like the most amazing, wonderful, embracing hug that, you know, ever existed. <laughs> um, 
And I'm going to play just a little devil's advocate here in a very salesy way. But Messiah, <laughs> how can imagining a hug feel anything like a real hug? I'm alone. <laughs> <laughs> well, getting back to earlier in our conversation when we were talking about the brain and emotions mm-hmm. and memories and the way when we pull up a memory, whether, and this is kind of how PTSD works too, um, for better or worse, our brain likes to wrap it in whatever emotion we remembered it in. Mm-hmm. So if we're remembering that hug, our brain is going to trigger our body to respond exactly as if it were happening right now. Mm. So we'll still, we'll get like, but again, it's, you know, it's that pathway in the woods. So the more you do it, the more you're going to feel it. And the more you're going to train that feeling into your body so you can recall it quickly. Say you give it a, you know, like you do a hand gesture in the middle of the meditation to give it that Mm -hmm. somatic cue, Mm -hmm. um, like that anchor into the meditation. And you can just be sitting and do this in the middle of the day and be like, and go back to, you know, where you train that into your brain and reinforce it a little bit, Mm -hmm. feel it a little bit, maybe not as much as the full meditation or an actual full hug. But this is also your meditation. So, you know, it doesn't have to be all Uncle John's hug. It can be like part mom, part aunt so-and-so, part, you know, like a a small child. And you can really um, give yourself something to use in the moment. And from what you were saying before about how our brain engages through different pathways wiring together, um, certainly it seems like it would be a good idea and it, like you said, it doesn't have to be all one person, but to take memories of hugs that are really poignant to you. Like as you were talking about it, I was just thinking um, the last hug that I got before it was just me and my family was um, my daughter's preschool teacher um, brought us, because preschool ended so quickly and abruptly for all the kids. Um, she brought all the children, but brought us a little gift basket of things to do Aww. throughout our time alone. And we gave each other and it all, I feel it in my heart just thinking about it. I I feel the, the gratitude of her being so thoughtful. I feel missing that I love talking with her every morning at drop off. I feel that community and engagement with her. And that hug is so emotional to me that even as I'm just sitting here thinking about it again, I can almost feel that hug. Exactly. And I could practice getting that hug more. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Now I'm getting emotional too. (laughs) And this is exactly how it works. You know, we just both brought up a memory. Mm -hmm. We both brought up a very poignant memory of, you know, that, that feeling of that, that connection of that love of that support, that sense of safety, Mm -hmm. which is another reason that I like this is because, you know, not only is it, you know, with somebody. So you have that feeling of, of safety around another, being with another person, but mm-hmm. an actual embrace feels safe. Yeah. And that sense of safety is going to calm that limbic center down and make you mm-hmm. feel good. Like mm-hmm. just it, the, the gorgeous little amygdala. I mean, it, <laughs> for better or worse, it gives us these, these feelings. It gives these memories feelings mm-hmm. and we can recall that we can change them. Yeah. We can add different feelings to them. You know, if it's too hard, you can add something else in there. It's totally like, this is the brilliant, beautiful thing about our brains is that we can adapt them. We can change them. We can, you know, we can bring in whatever we want. We can bring those feelings back. 
Yeah. And if it's, it's so well documented about PTSD and how those triggers and those feelings can take us back to such traumatic experiences and, and people are back in the physical world where they yeah. got that shell shock, whatever it was, why not use it for something positive? <laughs> why not use it for a hug? Exactly. Yeah. That's what I love so much about this process. Uh, um, about the specific modality is it brings in, um, it, it helps us learn a new way in a very gentle way. Like it's, you know, and a hug. I mean, that's, that was, that was the one thing I thought of the most that, you know, for me anyway, that mm -hmm. I would want the most in, in this sort of, uh, in this sort of, in this situation. Yeah. And, and if it's anything for anyone else, I mean, there are no limitations. This is um, exactly as creative as you can get. As, as and we're asking the diva to help us out here yeah you know, how, every time I do it it's different because mm -hmm. you know I just I just put these little pointers along the way like a template on the meditation mm -hmm. so every time I go back into it it's like oh no I want to think of that one this time or mm -hmm. you know, I'm just gonna I'm gonna hug my puppy <laughs> <laughs> like, I need a romantic hug now now I need a community yeah. now I need my mommy's hug and exactly. all of them all of them are accessible yeah. uh, and I, I want to bring up a, a bit of science that we've talked about before just to continue to reinforce this because I think there, there is a lot of um, disbelief that can come with how powerful our brains are. And I mean, they're just so freaking cool. Let's believe all of them. But um, the study, and, and maybe you remember the details of this better than I do, um, about two cohorts learning to play the piano. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So there, I think it was in the beginning of a, um, one of Joe Dispenza's books, he brings up this example or podcast, who knows anymore, right? Yeah. Like it's all just going it's in content. and swirling around. I believe um, it was, um, it, I just heard it recently and it was at the beginning of the Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself that he brings it up. Okay, that's it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, where they're, uh, they did the study on um, practicing the piano and they had one person practicing um, you know, the same piece every day, physically practicing it on the piano. They had another person not practicing at all. They looked at it once, they tried it, and then that was it. So that was kind of the control group, I guess. Mm -hmm. And they and, had cohorts. So they had groups of people doing it. Yeah, it was, it was full on groups. Um, and then the next group was, um, they were given the piece and they had to mentally practice it every day. So they mentally went through and practice it, imagine themselves playing this piece out over and over and over again. Meanwhile, there's the group that's physically playing it over and over and over again. And at the end of the study, the group that mentally practiced it over and over again had the most successful um, performance. They showed the most improvement. And these were people yeah. who had never played piano before. So everybody was starting from the same baseline. And I just- So cool. <laughs> I mean, how cool is that? that it's imagining, just imagining, you're creating the neural pathways. Here's that wire together, fire together. I'm imagining moving the motor of my hand while thinking about playing this music. And just by imagining it, I am wiring the motor movement of my hand. Yeah. And yeah, I've heard anecdotally from other musicians and other artists that, um, you know, to a point we were talking about before, that if you are just going through the motions of, you know, I, I used to play the harp and so going through the scales was about the dullest thing I could possibly do. <laughs> I, I, I think dull. any musician's gonna tell you how dull scales are. Yeah. And I could just breeze through it and not pay any attention to it. And you know what? I didn't get any better. <laughs> 
And <laughs> it wasn't, <laughs> it was not a real dedicated student, but it wasn't <laughs> again. And I was really emotionally attached to being able to play uh, Pooh Corner for my daughter while oh. I was I really wanted to play Pooh Corner. And that had a lot of scales to it. Um, it was it had a lot of um, tricky finger movements. And so I started practicing my scales and practicing that song, imagining playing it for her, imagining when I could... Um, uh, when I would meet her and this could be a song that, that I would get to introduce her to. And subjectively, I don't know, no, I, no teacher was there to say otherwise, but I memorized that song faster than any other song I played hmm. because there was that emotional aspect to it and that reality yeah. to it. Um, so anything we do, music, imagining that hug, finding that creativity in our day-to-day -day lives, I mean, when we put that intentional and that emotional aspect to it, it, it integrates so much deeper. We're not just walking through the woods, we're walking through the woods with hiking sticks, snow boots, and a machete. Like we, <laughs> we have so many more tools to create this pathway. I love that. Yeah, I love that so much because we're, we're, we're not just getting our, our brain, our whole brain involved when we start getting creative and when we bring in the emotional element to it, we're getting our body involved. Like mm -hmm. it goes straight to our heart, straight to other parts of us. And then when our whole body and brain and mind and soul, like all of it, mm -hmm. there's nothing stopping us. Like there was nothing stopping you from learning that. You were completely mm -hmm. on board and all systems were ready to go instead of mm -hmm. just, you know, just the feet. Like you had shoes on your feet and you had good socks and you had, <laughs> you're fully prepared and you were ready to hike through that forest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, there's so, there's so, so, so many tools and like the meditation is just one tool. Like that's, mm -hmm. it's a very powerful tool and, you know, probably one of the more powerful tools, but there's other tools too that you can use all along the way. And put them all together. Put them all together and mm -hmm. boom, you're, you're unstoppable. You're making your, you're making your own free super highway. <laughs> I love it. Um, so we kind of breezed by this. I don't know if there are any other um, misconceptions about meditation or neuroplasticity that you hear um, from your clients or out in your world that, that you feel like is a good thing to correct here and now on this platform? Um, not so, I don't hear a lot against neuroplasticity. Um, that seems to be a pretty solid one. Um, meditation, I feel like there's also a lot of um, misconceptions around what meditation is and because mm -hmm. there's so many different ways to meditate. Yeah. And for me, like I did Zazen for a while, which it's brutal. Like, <laughs> What's Zazen meditation? I'm not familiar. Um, like you sit in a very specific position, your mm -hmm. hands are in a specific position and it's, it, I, you just keep clearing your mind. Like you can't, no thoughts, no thoughts whatsoever, which mm -hmm. for me is, I'm an overthinker. Like that's my jam. Like I like, <laughs> so what do you mean get rid of thoughts? And I remember in one class I tried following the sunbeam across the wall. So you mm -hmm. get an idea how long we're meditating for. Mm -hmm. um, and I was scolded after he's like, no, that is not how you meditate. You're <laughs> your mind. You're still thinking of things. Uh, but there's, there's a lot of ways to meditate. And I don't think there's a wrong way to meditate. I think anything you do to calm that limbic center down and to just give your brain space to rest mm -hmm. is you're already going to be ahead of the curve 
the head of the stress curve. You're already going to be doing your body good and mm -hmm. calling chemical response in your body. Um, I, you know, I do hear a lot though that, well, I do, I meditate 10 times a day. It doesn't seem to be doing anything for me. Or I meditate 10, you know, what, 10 times a day, 10 minutes a day, mm -hmm. it's not doing anything for me. And I don't think it's a length thing so much as an intentionality thing. If mm -hmm. that's the case, you know, when you can put intentionality into a meditation and have something very specific, um, you know, if it's just releasing the stress from the day, or if it's inputting a beautiful hug, you know, whatever that is, um, it's intentional and it's combined with that every, like every one of the neuroscopy meditations are about calming that limbic center first and foremost. Mm -hmm. That's what you do. That's fine. Like, yeah, you know, that's, that's, you're, you're doing great. Like you're ahead of the curve, but if you want more, you got to do more. Mm -hmm. I like that. And I think so much of the discussion on meditation discusses, you know, what you're doing wrong and, um, you know, if you're not keeping that brain perfectly quiet, you have failed meditation. And the, the idea is there really is no, that funny. There's, yeah, that there's no bad meditation. If you're sitting down and putting the space to sit quietly, you know, even that in our busy lives, you know, it's so powerful. Yeah. But before, before the pandemic, during the pandemic, after the pandemic, there are still so many distractions. And if you sit down for 10 minutes and shut off all those distractions, that's a layer. Yeah. But again, it's the same um, to say practicing your scales without intentionality. You're still practicing, but could you get more with intention? Yeah. And once you create that intention, could you get more with an emotional purpose? And once you layer that emotional purpose, could you get more with a beautiful image? Can we keep hacking into this to create more diversity in our experience? Yeah. And more tools, more tools so that when you're, you know, trying to get that alone time, mm -hmm. Yeah, or, you know, it, it, I saw this when I was on Wall Street a lot too. Like people get so triggered by any change in their environment, um, mm -hmm. you know, a new memo, a TPS report, uh, <laughs> and their whole bodies would get fired up and contracted. And instead, like when you start, like you said, I like that idea of layering on all these different, you know, all these other elements, uh, intentionality and, you know, the emotional component and, um, you know, using our neuroplasticity to really rewire our brains so that we're not we're not going to be in that place of reaction anymore. We're going to be in the place of, hmm, that's interesting. I'm going to get curious. Yeah. And we start getting curious and interested and finding, instead of reacting, instead of reacting to everything around us, instead of defaulting, we're changing, by doing that, we're changing our default. So it's not to stress. It's not to anxiety. Mm -hmm. I know people that live in a state of anxiety all the time. They're always looking for something to be anxious about. And it's not that they're a negative person or people. It's not that they're, you know, bad in any way, whatever, but that's where their default is set. Yeah. And it was set there probably for, it probably helped them out at some point and saved them. I mean, I know I've been there. That's yeah. where my default was, you know, like I would, I would snap to victimhood easily. Yeah. And we then don't practice I, anything unless it's doing something for us. <laughs> exactly. And then when I realized that, I'm like, well, I don't know if I really want to feel like that all the time. Like mm -hmm. I would rather, much rather be empowered of, to lead my own life. Mm -hmm. This thing called joy. Like, <laughs> that good. Yeah. Like yeah. That, that would be a really nice default. I don't have to be happy all the time, but to have that underlying current of joy instead of anxiety, sign me up. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, when it comes down to it, for me, a successful meditation, no matter what form of meditation we take, because again, I think that's a big uh, misconception that Mm. there is one type of meditation and that is sit on a cushion and clear your mind. Or you know, maybe you've been further exposed and that's fantastic. But there are many, many, many different types of meditations. And to me, the success of um, any meditation that I engage in is to say, um, do I have awareness and curiosity when I get up from my practice? Oh, I love that. If, am I aware of, of a new level of discomfort, a new level of trigger in myself? And am I curious about what I want to do differently in it? because meditation in and of itself is kind of an uncomfortable situation. Again, we're asking you to start clearing a path in a forest and your brain is always going to try and get you back on the path of familiarity. So awareness and curiosity is what's going to keep moving you forward. And that's, that's inviting that, that higher brain diva onto the stage Mm -hmm. to just, to just, if nothing else, to just be aware of where you're at Mm -hmm. or what's happened or where you're going or where you were is giving you an incredible amount of data to work with and then to add curiosity into that like wow all right I've got all this data here fantastic (laughs) I wonder where it's gonna go like there's so much uncertainty right now am I gonna be scared afraid or curious like there's also uncertainty also brings with it potential and possibility yeah. All those inventions. Anxiety or joy? Like your choice. Like we get a choice. We actually get a choice. We get a choice yeah. and we can train that choice into our brains. Yep. And the beautiful thing about that choice is, <laughs> yes, we are going to make different choices day by day. We are, gonna, we are going to trip into making that anxious choice. We're going to trip into making that scared choice, but that doesn't mean we have to live there. Nope. You'll get the opportunity to choose something different in the next moment, in the next breath, which is where the awareness comes in. I love mm-hmm. that those are the two you brought up, like awareness. Mm-hmm. Wait, I just did it again. Silly ah, me. I went into anxious. Oh, did that I feel wonder good? how I can get out of this. Yeah. Get <laughs> something different in the next breath. Because Although sometimes my next breath is like, no, stay here, stay here. It's nice yeah. here. Like, no, no, I, you know, I'm good. Yeah, I'm going to try yeah. this over here. Okay. We're going we're gonna to go off the path. Well, we're well, for anyone who has been um, tempted and intrigued with our discussion today, and curious. there are many people finding curiosity about neuroplasticity and brain health, um, where can our listeners find you? And particularly um, meditations like finding those hugs for those of us in isolation. Uh, head over to my website, therebelbrain.com. Best and- website name ever. <laughs> I know. Well, I've always, I've always done things atypically. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a little bit of a rebel. And I like the idea of, you know, that limbic brain is our born default. You know, like we, we, we default to negative to keep ourselves safe. So rebel against it, you know, like <laughs> be a rebel, get wild and crazy in there, like change that. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so the rebelbrain.com and there's, you know, Facebook rebel brain, just look up rebel brain. Um, mm-hmm. and you'll find the hug. And the hug will be there. The hug is waiting for you. (laughs) Go find a hug. And and please do um, share that hug with us and we will share it in our community as well. Um, I love hearing what people come up with in their meditations. It's so fun. Oh yeah, definitely share. If anybody is um, working on any meditations or any creative imaging, please share with us. We want to know what everyone's doing. We want to share this creativity so that everybody can keep being inspired by the divas in their world. 
It's awesome. Yay. Thank you so much, Carly. This is great. Thank you. Thank you for joining us, Mariah. And thank you all for joining us here um, on the Healing Ground Movement podcast. We'll catch you with more bonus episode and bonus content later this week. Well. Big hugs. <laughs>